Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Acacia was stunned when her pregnancy test showed a positive. She thought, this has to be a mistake. There, there is no way that I'm pregnant. Although she was 27 years old, the thought of being a first-time mommy scared her to death. She was overwhelmed with fear, anxiety. She felt like her world was already crumbling around her and that there, were, there was just no way that she could be a parent at this time. She, she, she knew that she, she just wasn't ready, either physically or emotionally, mentally, to bring another human being into the world. Physically, she, she was still recovering. She was still recovering from a serious accident that, that should have killed her. She spent four days in the ICU after that. She had recently lost her job. She, she didn't have a consistent roof over her head, mainly because that she had recently broken up with her boyfriend, who was the child's father. Emotionally, man, she was struggling, struggling hard. Even when she reached out to let her ex-boyfriend know that she might be pregnant, he straight up encouraged her right away, get an abortion. He pointed out all of the chaos in her life that was already there. He made it clear that he would not be around. He told her that keeping the baby would be the worst decision she would ever make. And so fearful, anxious, discouraged, Acacia began to research online for abortion clinics in her hometown of Casper, Wyoming. And eventually she planned to abort her baby. Acacia's story, I mean, it's a very common story here in the USA. I mean, every year, 2.3 million women end up with an unplanned pregnancy. 2.3 million women every year in America end up with an unplanned pregnancy. They weren't looking to get pregnant. They were shocked when that pregnancy test came back positive. And, and they, just to be honest, if you were to ask them, they really don't want to be pregnant. Of that 2.3 million, we, we have no idea, no way of knowing how many actually consider abortion. But we do know how many actually end up getting an abortion. Approximately 1 million every year here in America. That's 1 million babies murdered in the womb every year. 2,700 babies murdered in the womb every day. 114 babies murdered in the womb every hour. Two babies murdered in the womb every minute. Now, as I say that word murder, you might bristle when I use that word to describe the act of abortion. But let me just, just work with me for a moment. You see, murder by definition is the unjust, premeditated killing of one human being by another human being. Let me read that definition again. Here's the definition of murder. Murder is, by definition, the unjust, 
premeditated killing of one human being by another human being. And as I look at that definition, that's exactly what abortion is. When the mother's physical life is not endangered by carrying the baby forth to birth. When a mother whose, whose physical life is not endangered by the baby whatsoever, when she gets an abortion, that is what we call an elective abortion, she didn't need an abortion to, 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 to save her life. She got an abortion merely because she didn't want the baby for some reason. That is an elective abortion. And I would argue that elective abortion is murder. Now, now some might say, now, Pastor, hold on just a minute. Abortion is legal here in the USA. It can be called murder. And I say back to you, whether something is is legal or illegal has nothing to do with whether or not it's just or unjust. Let me say it another way. Let me say it backwards. Whether something is just or unjust has nothing to do with whether it's legal or illegal. You see, slavery was once legal here in the USA, right? Would anybody have the audacity to say, but boy, that was just. Just because something is legal doesn't make it just. Something can be legal and unjust. And that's what I would argue abortion is based upon the authority of God's word. Abortion in America is legal, but it is unjust. The unjust premeditated killing of one human being by another human being is murder. Yet abortion is the elephant in the room. We tend to ignore it. Why? Let me give you two reasons why abortion is the elephant in the room. First, man, it is incredibly emotionally charged. People on both sides tend to be fanatical. Both sides tend to be fanatical about their opinion. And so it's just one of those things, man. You are treading into deep water or, or, or tumultuous water if you enter into the, the, to the topic of abortion. I mean, it's just become a major political football here in America for decades. And most folks, they don't want to be uncomfortable, and so they don't get into the debate. It's just not polite conversation in most people's eyes. But secondly, and, and this is really true, so, so hear my heart on this. Secondly, the reason that we often make abortion the elephant in the room is because there's a chance that you are sitting near a woman or a father who has had an abortion one in four women in America, or 25% of all women, will have an abortion by the age of 45. One in four women, that's 25% of all women in America, will have an abortion basically during their childbearing years. So there's a high probability that as you engage in the conversation about abortion, that you will be engaging with somebody who either had an abortion themselves, encouraged an abortion, or knows someone really close to them that had an abortion. We want to be very careful. I mean, I want to be very careful this morning, right? To not intentionally offend somebody. Even this morning, I want to be sensitive to any sisters here, any brothers here, who have abortion in their past. I don't want to condemn you. That's not my job this morning. My job is not to condemn you. I want to see you redeemed 
I want to see you forgiven and healed and reconciled. I want to speak truth in love and help you come to grips with what really happened so that you can find forgiveness in God through Jesus Christ. And so, so often, we don't even want to take the chance, though, because we may offend someone. So we don't talk about it. But I say to you this morning, we've, we have to. We must talk. I mean, the stakes are just too high. The stakes are too high for that baby in the womb and for that mother and for that father. And praise God. You look at the stats. I just said almost a million. It's actually a little below that. And praise God, the statistics are dropping here in America. In fact, they are at the lowest rate they have ever been since abortion was legal. But we're still talking about nearly a million babies being electively aborted, murdered, Every year, 60 million abortions in America since 1973 when it became legal. We can't ignore this elephant in the room. We can't ignore it. And so this morning, you need to understand that abortion is an abomination. That's today's task, today's takeaway. Here's what I want you to do with that, that, with that truth. I want you, here's today's takeaway. Hate the practice of abortion because it is an abomination to God. We talk a lot about social justice. This is a social justice issue. In fact, I don't even like the term social justice. This is a justice issue. Hate the practice of abortion because it is an abomination to God. Now, I want to admit to you this morning, I can't tell you to turn to a passage of Scripture that quote for quote says abortion is an abomination, but we can turn to a passage of Scripture that describes what practices are an abomination to God, and then we can connect really easily every one of those practices to the practice of abortion. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. We'll look at verse 16 through 19. Proverbs 6. Verse 16 through 19. I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. And let me just remind you what God's Word says is true and authoritative. I don't care what the, 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 the democratic will of the American people is. I don't care what the Supreme Court of the United States ruled. God's Word is the ultimate authority and should be the grounds on which we stake our claim on this topic. So let's look here. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among the brothers. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this text, God, help us to make this connection. And God, I pray first for the brother or sister in this room who has an abortion in their past. God, would you just, hurt, would you just help their heart, heal their heart, God? And if they've gotten to the point of, of forgiveness and healing, praise God. We pray that today would just galvanize their heart to help stop this abomination. Father, for the brother or sister who has yet to, to find that forgiveness in Christ for what they did, God, I pray today would be the day they would make peace with you through Jesus Christ. Father, for the rest of us, we 
are in this world to be salt and light. And so help us, God, to do that on this topic. Help us to not shy away, but to engage lovingly and truthfully in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat this morning. So I read those seven abominations here. The God says there's six, then he says there's seven, he adds one. All right, how is abortion connected to each of these seven abominations? We're gonna walk through each one and see what the word of God has to say first Abortion is an abomination we should hate because abortion is founded upon haughtiness. Abortion is founded upon haughtiness. You see, God says that haughty eyes are an abomination to him and he hates them. And I'm convinced that abortion is founded upon haughtiness. Now, that's not a word that we use very often, haughtiness. We don't use that word. That sounds like like, you know, Puritan language or something like that, right? Haughtiness might not be a word we use every day, but it, but it simply means proud. It means arrogant. It's a mindset that says, I know better than God. That's what a haughty, uh, that, that's what haughty eyes say, right? I, when I look at this situation, I know better than God knows. And so I ask you this morning, do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that? Boy, there better be some amens up in here, (laughs) right? Based upon the word of God, God is indeed sovereign. Therefore, if he's sovereign, then he's sovereign over the womb. So we can take that if and turn it into a since statement. So since God is sovereign, he is sovereign over the womb. We see this concept all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture where God opens wombs for conception and he closes uh, wombs against conception. Uh, for instance, Genesis 29, 31, 32. Genesis 29, 31, and 32 says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. But we later read, just a, a chapter later, Genesis 30, 22, uh, 22 through 24. It says, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add me another son. You see God's providence in that opening and closing wounds, uh, wombs, uh, opening and closing wombs. We even see God's active hand. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, this passage that we know so well, but I want you to hear God's active, intimate hand and work in that womb. It says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And so we see in scripture that God is is sovereign over the womb and active over the womb. And so you see that every child that is born in that womb comes by the providence of God, even against the greatest of odds, even against the greatest of odds, like like this husband and wife that I read about who gave birth to twins. I mean, that's kind of different, right? But the big shock is not that they had twins. The big shock is that they were pregnant at all because the wife had had her tubes tied and the husband had had a vasectomy. And here they are having twins. Could you imagine? 
And they conceived by completely natural means. They couldn't believe their eyes and ears when they found out they were pregnant. But I say to you, beloved, God is sovereign over the womb. And to attack the life that God puts in that womb is haughtiness to the highest. It's saying, God, you made a mistake. God, I know better than you. We hear phrases out of the pro-abortion camp all the time like, reproductive rights, my body, my choice. And what a haughty message. What an arrogant phrase. Beloved, your body was given to you that you might honor and glorify God. And so I say to you, ultimately, your body does not belong to you. Ultimately, your body belongs to God. And so when I look at abortion, abortion is founded upon haughtiness. Therefore, it's an abomination to God, and he hates it. He hates it. You should hate it as well. Second, abortion is an abomination we should hate because abortion is propagated by lying tongues. Abortion is propagated by lying tongues, primarily concerning the nature of the baby that is inside the womb. We hear obfuscation. Like, that's not a baby. That's a fetus. You'll hear people say that all the time. That's not a baby. Stop calling it a baby. That's a fetus. Like, it's something different. Fetus is just a Latin word for a baby in the womb. You know doctors and scientists. They love Latin. They like to use this language that nobody else can use. And so they use that Latin language there to actually make it more objective to them, to remove the subjectivity of it, to desensitize themselves from it. And that makes sense if you're a doctor having to do this stuff all the time, or a scientist. But for everyday human beings, we need to come face to face with what it really is. What it really is. Don't let the label fetus fool you into thinking that it's not a baby. We also hear straight out lies. Like, oh, it's just a clump of cells. It's not a baby. It's just a clump of cells. That is an outright lie. Now, maybe it was an innocent lie about 50 or 60 years ago when people really didn't know. They couldn't see inside the womb to see what was really going on. But for someone to use that argument today to prop up abortion is an outright lie because we know, we know what's going on inside that womb. We can see the baby at every stage of development. They say that a picture is worth a thousand words. So just, I could at this moment show you these pictures and walk off, this, walk off the platform and be done. Some of you are like being, amen, right? But I want to show you these pictures because they, listen, this is what is changing. You want to know why abortion statistics are going down in America? I believe this is one of the reasons because when you come face to face with this, you can't pretend anymore. Amen. You can't pretend. So let's see here if this is just a clump of cells. Here's a baby, one month old. You might say, well, that doesn't look much like a baby. And I would say, you're right, it doesn't look much like a baby. But you and I need to understand that even at this early stage of development, that child is a distinct human being with its own unique DNA, its own unique body, its own unique soul its own unique life. At this stage of development, the baby's heart is already beating. The mother at this stage 
likely does not even know yet that she's pregnant. Therefore, and you need to let this land on you as it's supposed to land, every abortion stops a baby's beating heart at every stage of development. Here's a baby at two months old in the womb. That looks more like a human, doesn't it? It's getting there, right? With the baby, it's only about an inch long, but you can see facial features such as developing ears and eyelids and and nose tips. They're coming about and limb buds are now becoming arms and legs. You can see that in there. Fingers and toes are still developing. That's at two months old. Here's three months old, now about two inches long. It begins to move itself around in the womb. The fingers and the toes are distinct. Developing sex organs can actually be identified at this point by ultrasound techniques. Here's a four-month-old baby in the womb. The baby's about four and a half inches long. Facial features are clearly developed. Eyes, nose, mouth, chin, ears. Fingers and toes are clearly developed. I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but you can clearly see the cardiovascular system in that child pumping blood throughout its body. The skin on the fingers at this point have fingerprints on them that no one else in the world has. Here's a baby at five months old in the womb. Five months old. The mother really becomes aware of his movement at this point. The baby at this stage of development, he can move his facial muscles, he can yawn, he can suck his thumb. Here's a baby at six months old. I love, you see the smile on that baby's face? I love that, man. He, his daddy must have been talking to him there. <laughs> That's right, you know. I mean, just, again, at this stage, look at this stage right here. Given modern technology, this is six months old in the womb, given modern technology, This baby is viable, which means it could survive outside of its mother's womb. Here's a baby at seven months old in the womb. Here's a baby at nine months old in the womb, finally. And then here, happy birthday! Here is that baby, just a few inches from where it was just a moment ago. What is the difference between that baby and the baby in the last picture? nothing except where it was living in the moment. But there are people in this country who would advocate the murder of that baby up until the moment that it was delivered in that hospital room. Now, I just ask you, at any point in those slides, did you see something that was just a clump of cells? No way, man. No way. That was a baby at every step of the way. And I say to you this morning, God hates a lying tongue. Third, abortion is an abomination that that we should hate because abortion sheds innocent human blood. That's what our text says. It says that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And so I say this morning, abortion is an abomination to God. Make no mistake about it. You just saw the pictures. That baby is human through and through, completely human. And it's completely innocent, humanly speaking. It has done nothing wrong. It did not ask to be conceived. It did not ask to be born. 
It has done nothing wrong to warn another human being to kill it. Again, that's why I argued that, that abortion is murder. It's the unjust, premeditated killing of one human being by another human being. Guys, that's why the pro-abortion camp, they try so hard, so hard to try to call that baby a fetus and not a baby. Fetus sounds alien. It sounds other than human. Gregory Kokel, founder of the Christian apologetics ministry called Stand to Reason. Here's what he said. He has this completely right. He says that the unborn is not a human person. No justification for abortion is necessary. But if the unborn is a human person, then no justification for abortion is adequate. And that's true. Human blood is shed. And listen, it's shed in the most awful way. Given the the mixed crowd that we have here this morning of of young and old and all the things that are here, guys, I, I can't in the worship center today go into the gruesome details, but just suffice it to say that arms and legs in an abortion procedure are torn off, heads are crushed, piece by piece that baby is cut up and mutilated. Abortion is a awful way to die. If, if, if a person were to murder another person outside the womb in the same way that abortionists murder a baby inside the womb, we would compare them to the sickest murderers in history. I mean, the sickest murderers in history. Yet pro-abortion advocates, they try to paint abortion as safe for those involved. Just this past Saturday, Just this past Saturday, here's what Planned Parenthood, the the largest abortion provider in America, who still receives over $500 million of our money as taxpayers. Here's what they tweeted out. Listen to this absurd line. Here's what they tweeted. They said, fact, abortion is one of the safest medical procedures in the United States now that it's legal, with a safety record of more than 99%. That's not true. That's just not true. It makes it sound like 100 women go in to the abortion clinic and into the operating room and 99 come out alive. That's what it makes it sound like, right? Only one in 100 die is what it makes it sound like. But here's the truth. If 100 women are going in to get an abortion, she is also carrying another person in her womb. So when 100 women go in to an abortion, there are actually two. 200 people going in, right? So when 100 women go in, there are 200, a baby and her. But there are only 99 coming out. That means that 101 die in that abortion room. Abortion sheds innocent human blood. And guys, God hates that. And you should hate that too. Fourth, abortion is an abomination that you should hate, that I should hate, because abortion is a premeditated, wicked plan. That's what our text says. It says that God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. That's exactly what abortion is. You see, the nation of Israel had a history of turning away from God, right? They would, they would follow God for a little while, and then they would go astray, and, and God would come in and redeem them and bring them back, and they would go astray again. One of the moments in their history when they were very, very far astray. We read this in Psalm 106, 34 through 38. It says this. 
It says, Israel did not destroy the peoples as the Lord God commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Listen to this, church, verse 37. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Did you hear that? They served idols by sacrificing their sons and daughters to demons. And I say to you, isn't that wicked? Yes. Infanticide is wicked. But beloved, isn't that what abortion really is? It is sacrificing sons and daughters to idols usually the idols of comfort and money. The Guttmacher Institute, uh, which is a private abortion watchdog group, they surveyed 100 women, or I'm sorry, they, they surveyed like, like, like uh, it was like 13, 1400 women who had had an abortion about why they got one. Why, why did you get an abortion? And here's what they found out. They found out that 62% of abortions were gotten because the mother didn't want to be put in an uncomfortable situation. We always hear about rape and incest and the mother's life and all these things, but 62% of these abortions were gotten simply because the mother didn't want to be put in an uncomfortable situation. She wasn't ready for a child. She was done having children. She didn't want to be a single mother. She wasn't mature enough, she thought, to raise a child. Or, or, or maybe there were fetal health problems. The baby was going to be born with a, with, a, with a handicap of some sort, and so she wanted to kill the baby before it was born. 62% simply because they didn't want to be put in an uncomfortable situation. On top of that, 27% were for financial reasons. They supposedly couldn't afford a baby or it would interfere with their education or their career. And look, that, doesn't even, that doesn't even touch the aspect of the abortion industry. That is a money-making, it's a money-hungry industry. They sell abortions to women and then they sell the body parts of these dead babies to medical research and they make a killing literally and figuratively. Abortion is big money. But when you add the motives of comfort and money together, that's 89%. 89% of all abortions in that study, 89% of those babies were sacrificed to the idols of comfort and money. Guys, what a premeditated, wicked plan. God hates that. And you should as well. Fifth, abortion is an abomination that we should hate because abortion is rushing in to evil. That's what Proverbs 6 says, that God hates feet that makes haste to run to evil. Right? It is an abomination to him, yet many mothers, many fathers, they rush into an abortion. They do so often out of fear. And we can empathize with that, can't we? I mean, I can still remember the first time that Christy and I found out that we were going to have our first child. And we weren't trying to have our first child. And it was a scary moment for us because we were in the middle of changing jobs and we were insuranceless and all those things. I mean, it was just, a, it just caught us at a really tough time. We can empathize with the fear and the anxiety 
of a mom and a dad that find out that they're pregnant when they weren't trying to get pregnant. I get it, man. Having a baby is a weighty thing. But the decisions of these magnitude should never be rushed. They should never be rash. That's why I'm so thankful for crisis pregnancy centers around America that try to help mothers and fathers to slow down. Think about what you're doing. Don't let the, 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 the fear cloud your judgment. Six, abortion is an abomination that we should hate because abortion is supported by false witnesses. Scripture here in, in Proverbs 6 says that God hates a false witness who breathes out lies. And guys, we could be here all day giving you examples of this, right? The abortion advocates are full of this, man. The Christian Post, just this last Tuesday, published an article entitled this, Will Oprah give equal time for women to shout their abortion regrets? You see, there's this pro-abortion movement called Shout Your Abortion, where women are supposed to shout loudly and proudly that they got an abortion. They don't believe there should be any shame. They don't believe there should be any regret surrounding abortion. And apparently Oprah's O Magazine is doing articles that, that highlight these abortion stories. This movement, Shout Your Abortion, is nothing but a movement of false witnesses. You see, because there is shame in abortion. There is regret, or there should be. I mean, again, it's murdering another human being. And if there's no regret or there's no shame, then that is evidence of a debased mind, according to Romans 1. Romans 1, 28 through 32, listen to this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. You know, many claim that abortion is no big deal and should even be celebrated as empowerment to women. That is a false witness, and God hates that. You should too. Finally, abortion is an abomination that we should hate because abortion sows discord in a community. God here in Proverbs 6 says that he hates one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, I see nothing amongst Eastwood Baptist Church where this is causing division. I see nothing, I'm fairly certain, that the Southern Baptist Convention, which we're a part of as a denomination, is being torn apart by the issue of abortion. But our friends in the United Methodist Church who are already facing, I mean, serious discord over supporting homosexuality. But now they're adding to that discord the issue of abortion. Again, on this very past Tuesday, LifeNews.com reported that the United Methodist General Conference in 2020 will hear an amendment to their social principles that will essentially say, we support abortion. It'll be just one more thing to tear that denomination apart because 
Biblical Christians cannot support the practice of abortion. It's an abomination. So beloved, through and through, man, abortion is an abomination and we should hate it. But what should we do to stand up to it, right? To make a difference. That's where I want to finish up today. What should we do to make a difference? Let me give you just a few quick ways to make a difference. And I don't have these on your screen. As I, as I read these, here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes, I want you to pick one as I read these. I'm going to go through them quickly. I want you to pick one and then do it. Okay? Number one, don't have an abortion yourself. You want to make a difference? Start with you. Don't do it. Listen to me, young ladies in the room, those of you who are in the youth right now and coming up, and you even younger than that, those of you who are in college, you're going to be tempted by pressure someday potentially to abort your baby. And maybe, I pray it doesn't happen, but maybe you find yourself in a situation of an unplanned pregnancy. But listen to me, abortion is never the answer. It's never the right answer. It's never the right answer. Don't have an abortion yourself. Number two, reach out to a pregnant mother and father and encourage them and support them, especially if the pregnancy was unplanned. That's how you can make a difference. Three, get educated. Be sharpened in your ability to defend the life of babies in the womb and engage people in truth and love. The elephants in the room, don't ignore it. Lovingly and truthfully engage people. Four, Support crisis pregnancy centers with time and with money. They need volunteers. They need money. I like the pregnancy support, uh, support center on Magnolia Street in Bowling Green. I don't know a lot about that one. I did just find it in an internet search. But I do know that, that Living Hope is starting a new Hope Center for Pregnancy uh, here soon on Campbell Lane. So again, just thankful for another uh, option to help crisis pregnancy situations. These organizations are at the front lines of saving lives. Number five, become foster parents or consider adopting. You see, one of the biggest arguments that that abortionists like to use is that abortion is merciful because that baby would have been born into a bad family and it is better to die than to grow up in a tough family, a family that doesn't love that baby rightly. But you know what? Guys, abortion never saves a baby from a bad home. Abortion kills a baby who was potentially in a bad home. But you know what saves babies from bad homes? Foster mamas, foster daddies, adopting mamas, and adopting daddies. Praise God for foster parents and adopting parents. Amen? Praise God. That's one of the things here at Eastwood I'm so proud of, so thankful of, so encouraged by is the moms and dads who are stepping out. I and mean, this is the front lines, guys, still, of this fight against abortion, devaluing life, foster moms, foster dads, adopting moms, adopting dads. I'm so thankful for you. God bless you and what you do. Number six, vote for pro-life candidates or policies. The abortion industry, I mean, is scared to death right now. Scared to death that pro-life folks will become the majority in the Supreme Court. And I say to you, Roe v. Wade can be overturned. Right? 
Amen? Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. It can be, guys. Could you imagine that for just a moment? Just imagine that for just a moment, how that would change the situation. Number seven, if you're a father or a mother who's had an abortion and you've never repented of that sin, come to God in sorrow and find your healing. Listen to me. What you did was very sinful, but Christ died for sinners. Amen? He died for sinners. And I want to say to you this morning, there is forgiveness, there's healing, there's reconciliation. You want to make a difference? Come to Christ and be reconciled to God. Finally, number eight, if you're you're here and you've had an abortion in your past and you've found that forgiveness and healing and reconciliation that is in Jesus Christ, then I pray that you'd be a strong ambassador of Christ to women and men who have not yet found that. Abortion is one of the most crushing things for a woman's soul. They, they don't tell you that. They make it sound like, oh, it's no big deal. Nothing bad will happen to you. But emotionally, it scars you. And I pray those of you who have that experience and you found healing can help other men and women find healing. Now, I began this morning with the story of Acacia. The woman from Casper, Wyoming, who ended up with an unwanted pregnancy and had decided that abortion was the answer. Fortunately, because of Christians like you and me that helped her along and completely changed her mind, a few months later she gave birth to this baby boy. I just got goosebumps. That's Axton is his name. And he is a beautiful baby boy. She was going to get an abortion But a crisis pregnancy center in her community there offered free health care for her. She came in, she was counseled, and she decided that she didn't want to murder her baby. And today, that beautiful baby boy is alive because of men and women who don't ignore the elephant in the room. Here's my final prayer. May the mother's womb be the safest place for a child to be. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much 
that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.